This is the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 3, The Various Creation Stories from Around the World. Last week, I covered the tablet theory on the authorship of Genesis, essentially on how Moses would have written the book using clay tablets where the history was recorded by those who witnessed it unfold. If you missed it, you really should go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm recounting several creation stories from around the globe, just not the one from Genesis. That will be next week. And before I start, a little bit of a disclaimer. I do not believe these, nor contend that they are the source of the Christian creation story. But they did at one time coexist with it, but obviously most of them had no real staying power. In order to understand the early history of Judaism, it's important to understand those religions that existed at that time, too. And now for those stories. It should come as no surprise that nearly every culture has a creation story, as we all, especially in the days before the distractions of the internet and television, were left to spend our nights wondering how we all got here. What may come as a bit of a surprise are the similarities from across the globe, as well as the differences from the Israelites' neighbors. So let's get started. Mesopotamia is a region essentially between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in present-day Syria, Iraq, and Kuwait. It is also the region to the north and east of where the Israelites originated and resettled. This region spawned several creation stories that were similar to each other, but different from the Hebrew story. From the record that has been pieced together from archaeological evidence, there seem to be two main ideas about the origin of man associated with ancient Mesopotamia. According to ancient Mesopotamian traditions, there were many gods with specialized tasks who existed before humans. In fact, no single myth addressed the issues of initial creation. It was simply assumed that the gods existed before the world was formed. Their gods were both male and female and had very human-like traits. For example, they lived on earth and had to eat and work. In fact, they worked very hard growing food to eat. They did not enjoy this work and sought a solution for the problem. Ea, the god of fresh water, who was respected for his wisdom, was sought out in his underwater house by the other gods. He proposed creating beings that would do the work of the gods for them. Therefore, Ea gathered wet clay from around his home and shaped them into humans. He gave them life by breathing upon them, but unlike the gods, these creatures had a finite lifespan. The humans were servants of the gods and did their work in the fields, providing food and water. Then there is Samaria, in present-day southern Iraq. Unfortunately, very little survives the Sumerian literature from the 3rd millennium BC. There are several fragmentary tablets that contain references to a time before the pantheon of gods, when only the earth and the heavens existed. All was dark, as there was neither sunlight nor moonlight. However, the earth was green and water was in the ground, but there was no vegetation. Yeah, I don't quite understand how all that worked either. More is known from the Sumerian poems that date to around the 2nd millennium BC. A Sumerian myth known today as Gilgamesh in the Netherworld opens with a prologue. It assumes that the gods in the universe already exist, and that once, a long time ago, the heavens and earth were united, only later to be split apart. Later, humankind was created, and the great gods divided up the job of managing and keeping control over heavens, earth, and the Netherworld. The origins of humans are described in another early 2nd millennium Sumerian story found on clay tablets. 
On these tablets, it was written that humans grew from the earth, similar to a plant. The most notable story, called The Myth of the Creation of the Ho, describes this event where the god Enlil created the earth. This act was done in order to make room for seeds to come up, and using a hoe, Enlil dug a hole from which humans eventually grew. In the Sumerian poem, The Debate Between Grain and Sheep, the earth first appeared barren, without grain, sheep, or goats. People went naked. They ate grass and drank water from ditches. Later, the gods created sheep and grain and gave them to humankind as sustenance. According to the story, the debate between bird and fish, from the same time period, water for human consumption did not exist until Enki, Lord of Wisdom, created the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and caused water to flow into them from the mountains. He also established sheepfolds, marshes, and reed beds, and filled them with fish and birds. He founded cities and established kingship and rule over foreign countries. Another early 2nd millennium BC Sumerian myth titled Enki in the World Order provides an explanation as to why the world appears organized. Enki decided that the world had to be well managed to avoid chaos. Various gods were then assigned management responsibilities that included overseeing the waters, crops, building activities, the control of wildlife, and herding of domestic animals, as well as oversight of the heavens and earth and the activities of women. The Babylonians compiled several separate Sumerian descriptions of the creation of the universe, and this became their creation story, known as Enuma Elish, and has been found on clay tablets. The tablets were written in the 7th century BC, but the origin of the text is believed to go back at least to 1500 BC, when Babylon was the dominant city of the region. The myth itself has over 1,091 lines written on seven tablets. The story begins with two watery entities, one male and one female, named Apsu, meaning freshwater, and the other named Tiamat, meaning saltwater. With their union, a variety of sea monsters and gods were created. In the ensuing chaos, Tiamat, the female creator, tries to take control. Her descendants unite against her, choosing one of their number, Marduk, the god of Babylon, to lead them. Armed with a hurricane and riding a tempest drawn by four fiery horses, Marduk meets Tiamat and her evil accomplice Kingu in battle. Marduk kills them both. He splits the monstrous corpse of Tiamat into two parts. From half of her he creates the heaven, from the other half, the earth. In heaven he constructs a dwelling place for his peers, the gods. Marduk stretches her skin to the heavens to prevent the waters from escaping, a motif that explains why there is so little rainfall in southern Iraq. He then created the stars. He designated the zones of constellations of stars and thereby created the year. He made the moon shine. Two words. After all, this is the Middle East, not Appalachia. And he created vegetation. Then, seeing wars among other gods and knowing that the defeated served the victorious, Marduk decided to create humankind, using the blood of Kingu to create the first man. No god, he decided, should be a servant. Instead, it would be the place of humans to serve the gods. There are several creation stories in Egypt, each attached to rival gods. The most common one begins with Nun, the primeval ocean, from which Amun rises in splendor. He takes the name Re, thus in effect merging two rival deities. He then produces a divine son and daughter. These two breed a race of gods, while the tears of Amun-Re become mankind. Man's poor behavior soon persuades the Creator to withdraw from earthly affairs. He leaves the earth and retires to the heavens, where he reigns as the sun. 
Then, the story gets more complex, with variations springing up around different cities. These different creation myths have some elements in common. They all held that the world had arisen out of the lifeless waters of chaos, called Nu. They also included a pyramid-shaped mound, called the Ben-Ben, which was the first thing to emerge from the waters. These elements were probably inspired by the annual flooding of the Nile River, with the receding floodwaters leaving the soil fertile. The Egyptians may have equated this with the emergence of life from the primeval chaos. The imagery of a pyramidal mound was probably derived from the mounds of soil emerging as the river receded. The sun was also closely associated with creation, and it was said to have first risen from the mound, as the general sun god Ra, or as the god Capri, who represented the newly risen sun. There were many variant stories concerning the creation of the sun, some saying that it emerged directly from the mound or from a lotus flower that grew from the mound, among others. Another common element of Egyptian creation myths is the figure of the cosmic egg, a substitute for the primeval waters or the primeval mound. Ra, the sun guide, was contained within an egg, laid upon this mound by a celestial bird. In the earliest version of this myth, the bird is a goose, with no corresponding explanation on the source of the goose. However, after the rise of the cult of Toth, the egg was said to have been a gift from Toth and laid by an ibis, a waiting bird native to the region, and also the bird he was associated with. The creation myth in the city of Hermopolis focused on the nature of the universe before the creation of the world. The inherent qualities of the primeval waters were represented by a set of eight gods, known as the Ogduad. According to the myth, the eight gods were originally divided into male and female groups. They were symbolically depicted as aquatic creatures because they dwelt within the water. These two groups eventually converged, resulting in a great upheaval which produced a pyramid-shaped mound from which the sun rose. In Heliopolis, the creation was attributed to Atom. Atom was the source of all the elements and forces in the world, and the Heliopitan myth described the process by which he evolved from a single being into this multiplicity of elements. He then created two lesser gods, the male Shu and the female Tefnut. Next, Shu and Tefnut coupled to produce the earth god Geb and the sky goddess Nut, who defined the limits of the world. Geb and Nut, in turn, gave rise to four children who represented the forces of life. Osiris, the god of fertility and regeneration, Isis, and yes, it is spelled the same as the other Isis, the god of motherhood, and a god each for men and women. The myth thus represented the process by which life was made possible. These nine gods were grouped together theologically as the Enid, but the eight lesser gods and all other things in the world were ultimately seen as extensions of Atom. And thankfully, there will not be a quiz on all of that. The Memphite version of the creation centered on Ta, who was the patron god of craftsmen. As such, he represented the craftsman's ability to shape raw materials into a finished product. The Memphite theology said that Ta created the world in a similar way. This, unlike the other Egyptian creation stories, was not a physical but an intellectual creation by the word and the mind of Ta. The ideas developed within Ta's heart, which the Egyptians believed was the place where thoughts occurred. These things were given form when he named them with his tongue. By speaking these names, Ta produced the gods and all other things. The Memphite creation myth coexisted with that of Heliopolis, as Ta's creative thought and speech were believed to have caused the formation of Atom and the Enid. Theban theology claimed that Amon was not merely a god, but the hidden force behind all things. One Theban myth likened Amon's act of creation to the call of a goose. 
which broke the stillness of the primeval waters and caused the Ugduat and the Ennead to form. Amun was separate from the world. His true nature was concealed even from other gods. At the same time, however, because he was the ultimate source of creation, all the gods, including the other creators, were in fact merely aspects of Amun. Amun eventually became the supreme god of the Egyptian pantheon because of this belief. This mythology of Amun helps to explain the growth of Thebes as a major religious capital. Thebes was also thought of as the location of the emergence of the primeval mound at the beginning of time. The creation myths from India are about as complex as those from Egypt, and are primarily due to the purported 330 million Hindu gods. Take that number with a grain of salt, though, as many of their gods have several names and forms. The Hindu creation stories range from themes such as dismembered giants and magical eggs to doubts about the possibility of knowledge on such a matter. In an ancient story, Purusha is an early man who the gods sacrificed as the act of creation. The sky sprang from his head, the earth from his feet, the sun from his eye, and the moon from his mind. The forecast of Hindu societies also derived from his body. The birds and animals came from the fat which dripped from him during the sacrifice. A much later Indian story involves the god Brahma. Beginning from nothing, he goes through a lengthy process. First he creates, by thought alone, the waters. In them he deposits his seed, which grows into a golden egg. He himself is born in the egg. After a year, once again by thought alone, he splits the egg in two. The halves become heaven and earth. But Indian philosophy also produces a less literal response to these eternal mysteries. One of the hymns in the Rigveda, an ancient Indian collection of Vedic Sanskrit hymns dating to around 1500 BC, considers on various cosmic forces which might have fashioned the universe. It concludes with the passage, But, after all, who knows? And who can say whence it all came? and how creation happened. The Greek's creation story is an extremely complex account of how everything began, with the various gods fighting for a role. As I recount the story, keep in mind that this one is thought to have originated around the year 800 BC, far later than the others from the same region. Knowing this, it should become clear how their myth was influenced by the other, earlier ones. Zeus, ruler of the sky, eventually emerges as the leader of the gods, the story begins, like so many others, with a gaping emptiness known as chaos. Within this there emerges Gaia, the Earth. Gaia gives birth to a son, Uranus, who is the sky. The world now exists, Earth and Heaven, and together Gaia and Uranus provide it with a population, their children. First Gaia produces the Titans, heroic male and female figures. But her next offspring are less satisfactory, the Cyclops with only one eye in the middle of their foreheads, and are followed by what are unmistakably monsters with a surplus of heads and arms. Uranus, appalled by his offspring, buries them in the depths of the earth. Gaia is shocked. She persuades the youngest titan, known as Cronus, to attack his father. Cronus surprises Uranus in his sleep, and with a sharp sickle cuts off various body parts and throws them into the sea. Cronus then frees his brothers and sisters from their dungeon, and together they continue to populate the world. But an inability of the fathers to get along with their offspring characterizes this so-called family. Cronus, who has six children with his sister Ray, devours each of them as soon as each is born. Once again, maternal instincts intervene. To save her youngest child, Ray wraps a stone in swaddling clothes. Cronus swallows the bundle and Ray sends the baby to foster parents. The baby's name is Zeus. 
As an adult, he overwhelms his father, defeats all other titans in a great war, and then settles upon Mount Olympus to preside over a world which has at last achieved a certain calm. During this, without explanation, mankind arrives on Earth. Prometheus, a titan, smuggles them the valuable gift of fire. But, these first men are not considered the direct ancestors of man, and there are several versions of how the present race of humans originated. One is that Zeus, exasperated by Prometheus, sends a flood to drown mankind. Two humans escape in an ark. When the flood has subsided, the oracle at Delphi tells the two to cast behind them the bones of their first ancestor. That ancestor, they reason, is Gaia, the earth. They throw stones over their shoulders, and from each stone a human being is created. There will be more on this flood story when I cover Noah. Like the Christian and Jewish story of creation, the Islamic story is spaced out over six periods. Various parts of the Quran state that the process of creation took six days, while other parts provide more detail about creation. Specifically, two days to create the earth, two to create the mountains, to bless the earth, and to measure its sustenance, totaling four days, and then two more days to create the heavens and the stars. According to the Quran, the skies and the earth were joined together as one unit of creation, after which they were split into two parts. After the parting, they assumed a smoke-like state, then simultaneously came into their present shapes. The Quran states that God created the world and the cosmos, and from water made all the creatures that walk, swim, crawl, and fly. He made the angels and the sun, moon, and the stars to dwell in the universe. He poured down the rain in torrents and broke up the soil to bring forth the grain, the grapes, and other vegetation, the olive and the palm, the fruit trees, and the grass. Some sources maintain that the Quran claims that God made corn, which of course is true, but corn as we know it was unknown to Muhammad when he wrote the Quran. God molded clay, earth, sand, and water into a model of a man. He breathed life and power into it, and it immediately sprang to life. And this first man was called Adam. God took Adam to live in paradise and made a wife for him from his side. The Quran does not give any more details about her creation. She is sometimes referred to as Hawa in commentaries, but in the Quran itself, she has no name. Additionally, some Muslim commentaries on the Quran use the biblical suggestion that she was made from Adam's rib. God taught Adam the names of all the creatures and then commanded all the angels to bow down before Adam. All of them bowed, but Iblis, also known as Lucifer, refused to obey, claiming that his fiery nature was superior to Adam's flesh, which consisted of clay. He represents the first refusal to obey God's will. God cast Iblis out of his paradise, and Iblis vowed to tempt Adam and Eve's generations to corruption and to disobey God. In contrast with Christian traditions, which sees Satan as a rebelling angel, Islamic tradition identifies him with a being called a genie. In contrast, God created the genies with free will, and they may choose to obey him or not, similar to the case of the human being. Chapter 20 of the Quran tells the story of Adam's temptation by Satan to eat the fruit of the forbidden tree. Here the story is similar to that in Genesis, although the woman is not labeled as the one who gives in to the temptation. The differences between the Quran and Genesis then become more critical in terms of the differences between Muslim and Judeo-Christian belief and doctrine. In the Quran, Adam and his wife are thrown out of paradise and banished to earth. They ask God for forgiveness and tell him, We have sinned against our own souls. In the Quran, Adam and his wife don't fall from grace. 
neither do their actions mean that all mankind needs redemption from sin. Some Islamic sources state that this test was given to judge when Adam and Eve would be able to make choices and therefore be ready to be sent to live a life on earth. When God knew that Adam and Eve had disobeyed him and made a choice, he cast them out of paradise and sent them to the earth, since they were ready to live on their own. Islam breaks somewhat with Judaism and Christianity in explaining how Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. In the actual Hebrew account in Genesis, a serpent tempts them to eat the fruit. Extra-biblical Christian stories identify the serpent with a snake, and also with Satan, but the actual text of the biblical story does not explicitly make these identifications. In contrast, the Quran states explicitly that Lucifer tempted Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. Keep in mind that Muhammad wrote the Quran and the creation story between 609 and 632 AD, and its creation story is widely considered to be based on the one found in Genesis. But because of when the Quran was written, it was also influenced by the teachings of Jesus. On the other side of the world, there are also various creation stories. The Apache, a Native American tribe who lived in what is now Arizona, New Mexico, West Texas, southern Colorado, and northern Mexico, had a story where in the beginning there was only Tipu and Gusumats, a feathered serpent. These two sat together and thought, and whatever they thought came into being. They thought earth, and there it was. They thought mountains, and so they were. They thought trees, and sky, and animals, and each came into being. But none of these things could praise them. So they formed more advanced beings of clay. But these beings fell apart when they got wet, so they made beings out of wood. But they proved unsatisfactory and caused trouble on the earth. The two gods sent a great flood to wipe out these beings, so that they could start over. With the help of a mountain lion, coyote, parrot, and crow, they fashioned four new beings. These four beings performed well and are the ancestors of the Apache. The Lakota Native American tribe, who lived in present-day Nebraska and the Dakotas, believed that there was another world before this one. But the people of that world did not behave themselves. Displeased, the creating power set out to make a new world. He sang several songs to bring rain, which poured stronger with each song. He sang the fourth song, and the earth split apart and water gushed up through many cracks, causing a flood. By the time the rain stopped, all of the people and nearly all the animals had drowned. Only Kanji the crow survived. Kanji pleaded with the creating power to make him a new place to rest, so the creating power decided the time had come to make his new world. From his huge pipe bag, which contained all types of animals and birds, the creating power selected four animals known for their ability to remain underwater for a long time. He sent each in turn to retrieve a lump of mud from beneath the floodwaters. First, the loon dove deep into the dark waters, but it was unable to reach the bottom. The otter, even with its strong webbed feet, also failed. Next, the beaver used its large flat tail to propel itself deep under the water, but it too brought back nothing. Finally, the creating power took the turtle from his pipe bag and urged it to bring back some mud. The turtle stayed underwater for so long that everyone was sure it had drowned. Then, with a splash, the turtle broke the water's surface. Mud filled its feet and claws and the cracks between its upper and lower shells. Singing, the creating power shaped the mud in his hands and spread it over the water, where it was just big enough for himself and the crow. He then shook two long eagle-wing feathers over the mud until the earth spread wide and varied, overcoming the waters. 
Feeling sadness for the dry land, the creating power cried tears that became oceans, streams, and lakes. He named the new land Turtle Continent, in honor of the turtle that provided the mud from which it was formed. The creating power then took many animals and birds from his great pipe bag and spread them across the earth. From red, white, black, and yellow earth, he made men and women. The creating power gave the people his sacred pipe and told them to live by it. He warned them about the fate of the people who came before them. He promised all would be well if living things learned to live in harmony. But the world would be destroyed again if they made it bad and ugly. The Comanche Native American tribe, who lived in present-day New Mexico, Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, believed in the Great Spirit. One day, the Great Spirit collected swirls of dust from the four directions in order to create the Comanche people. These people formed from the earth had the strength of mighty storms. Unfortunately, a shape-shifting demon was also created and began to torment the people. The Great Spirit cast the demon into a bottomless pit. To seek revenge, the demon took refuge in the fangs and stingers of poisonous creatures and continues to harm people every chance it gets. The Potawatomi Native American tribe, who lived in what is present-day Michigan and Wisconsin, also held a belief in a single deity. The man Anishinaabe found himself alone on earth. The creator told him to give everything a name, and he did this, accompanied by a wolf. He discovered that only he, among the many species, was alone, without a mate, and he was lonely. He traveled to the Great Lakes and, while searching, heard a beautiful song coming across the water. A woman's voice was singing that she was making a home for him. He fell in love with the voice and the song. In the days that followed, he learned how to cross the water and finally came to a lodge facing west. There lived a beautiful woman and her father, the Firekeeper. This was the first union, Anishishabe and the Firekeeper's daughter. It determined the roles of men and women in marriage. They had four sons, who when they were grown, traveled the four directions of the earth. The son who traveled north had a hard journey, but learned that the melting snow cleansed Mother Earth. Because of the snow, the color for the north is white. This son married the daughter of the spirit of the north, and was given sweet grass, the first gift of Mother Earth. It is kept in a braid like a mother's hair. The second son traveled east, into the yellow of the rising sun. He learned that fire is the essence of life and gained a knowledge of the Creator. He married the daughter of the spirit of the east and was given tobacco to use in prayer to communicate with the Creator. The third son went south, which is the woman's direction from which comes seeds and other things that give life. Red, the color of life's blood, is the color for the south. He married the spirit of the south's daughter and was given the gift of cedar, which is used to cleanse and purify the home and to prepare food. The fourth son went west, towards the mountains. Marrying the spirit of the west's daughter, he was given sage and learned that the setting sun represents the circle of life in its cycle. The color for west is black, for the dark time, and the sage, a strong purifier, is to keep illness away. Smoke from the cedar and sage is fanned upward with an eagle feather, because the eagle once saved the Native American people when the Creator would have destroyed them. The eagle told the Creator that there were fateful people on earth, and was sent out each morning to see if the smoke still rose from the lodges of those good people. Fanning the smoke with an eagle feather symbolizes the eagle delivering the message to the Creator that his people are still there and still believe. So what's my point in recounting these various stories from across the world? The stories that should seem most similar to that in Genesis, since they arose in very close proximity, 
from similar people living in similar circumstances are not similar at all. These are the Greek, Egyptian, Mesopotamian, and Babylonian stories. And then there are those from the other side of the world that bear more resemblance to what we find in Genesis than did the geographically close stories. And to make the plot even more interesting, all of the Native American stories were definitely passed on by oral tradition, since the only written type language that predates contact with Western man in the 15th century AD was of the Mayans and their close neighbors. So that's the episode for this week. Join me next week when I'll recount the creation story, or perhaps stories, as presented in the book of Genesis. You don't want to miss it. As I've mentioned before, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments, questions, and essentially any correspondence can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the term Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.